Imagine the horror of being in not one, but four concentration camps, and then being led on a death march. Buckle on up, as you are about to hear a simply unbelievable story from one of the oldest Holocaust survivors in the world. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the Mayor of Motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest today bears personal witness to the greatest atrocity in human history. As of today, February 7th, 2023, he is one of the few remaining Holocaust survivors his age who survived the concentration camps and a death march. Speaking of age, he will be turning 99 this year. Yes, your ears are not deceiving you. He is 98 years young, going on 99 this year. His story is remarkable, and he himself is equally as remarkable. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Sam Ron. Okay. Now, you want me to tell my story? We're going to ask you some great questions, and you're going to give me some, I'm sure, incredible answers. And the first question that comes to mind is, where did you grow up? And what was life like before the Germans invaded your country? Okay. So this is a long story. First of all, my name is Samuel Rahn, but I was born Rakowski. And I was born, born in a little city. It's 30 miles north of Krakow. The city is smaller than the name, you know. But I was born in 1924. Now, my parents, my parents, my father was named Joseph Rakowski. My mother was a Zelda. And I had a younger brother, three, three years younger. My father served in the Polish army before he got married in the early 20s. You know, let, let me tell you something else. There was so much anti-Semitism in Poland, particularly in the 30s. But we, my family and myself, we did personally, we did not suffer any anti-Semitism. So I went to a regular school for seven years, the Polish school. There was only three Jewish kids. I was one boy and two girls and 59 Jews. It's a, it was seven years. Jesus Christ was on the wall. And uh, I, I, I was a good student. I was a good looking. So I was very good in Polish. You're still good so looking. I'm still looking. Okay. <laughs> well, why did you not suffer any anti-Semitism when others did? Well, it's a personal. We have good relationship with neighbors, you know. My business, my father's business was all with non-Jews. But you know what happened is actually after five o'clock, we didn't have any social action with non-Jews. After five. During the day, we were busy going to school or a business there. My family did not suffer. My father was a progressive man. He was an ardent Zionist, you know. And uh, so my house, we had a, a house in the town there, and there was all the central Jewish life in, in my house there. We used to get two Jewish newspapers, the moment and the height every day. We had a radio, we had electricity. So 
we were a prominent family. You know, we were well-to-do, not very rich, but well-to-do. So then after I graduated school, I had excellent tutor for teaching me Hebrew. When I came to Israel, I knew very well Israel. I was I, 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 a, a member in the Zionist, Zionist scout group, you know, from Anorat So we were very much Jewish. But the last year of the war, I went to Hebrew high school in the city of Krakow, because in my town was not a high school. A Hebrew high school in the city of Krakow. You know, let me tell you, that year, that year, what I spent in Krakow, actually, that that made my character. You know why what happened is right in September 38, while we were just in school there, we got refugees coming. What happened is the Germans expelled 30 some thousand Jewish Polish citizens expelled from Germany. The Polish didn't want them, but they finally got it there. So they, they came to my town my school, and they took our dorm, not the our union hall, took get some refugees. So this was my first experience with the Holocaust. You know. And then what happened is that there was a man named Grishpan in Paris. His parents was among the 36,000. So he assassinated a German, uh, assassinated somebody in the, in the German uh, embassy. So you know what happened next day? Came the Kristallnacht. Yeah, infamous, yes. So this was my first experience to listen to this. I didn't. In Kristallnacht, you know what happened in Kristallnacht. So that was one thing. Then came Hanukkah. Well, a lot, a lot of our listeners don't know what happened, so why don't you explain so a little bit? So what happened is the Germans, the Germans burned hundreds of Jewish synagogues they killed a lot of people. They burned. They broke all their windows, the glass windows. That's why when I say the night of broken glass, and they arrested a lot of people. So it was actually act was the beginning of the Holocaust. And that was about 1938. 38 on uh, November the eighth, the ninth, tenth. So then, I was uh, going to a Hebrew high school on Hanukkah. On Hanukkah. You have. I was privileged. They picked me the blessing on the candles in the theater. So for a young man like fourteen years old, that was a good, very experience. Then came in the spring, in the spring, in in, in Purim time, they had big demonstrations, celebrations. They called it Adlo Yauda. You know what that means in Hebrew? You Tell drink us. until you don't know what's going on. <laughs> So that was a very nice experience. And then came in the summer of 39, the white paper, the British ordered the white paper. What the white paper was restricting immigration to Palestine, to Israel, Eretz Israel, whatever you call it. And then they decided Jews cannot buy land from the Arabs. So we have a lot of demonstrations. So this, these all events actually made my character, you know, I speak, I, just all this experience. So all this overthinking thing was very good. We had, actually, we had a good life. And we had a good life, my family in Poland. 
Let me tell you, I was born in my city. My father and mother was born in the city. My two grandmothers were born in the city and a lot of more generation. So we were really a part of that. We were a part of there. We have a good life there. So, About how many people lived in your town? Uh, my town was 3,000 population, was 60 Jewish families, but 10, 12 percent of population. But the reason why the small town was a very important thing is because there was a, a sugar factory. So what happened is the, the city had, yeah, and the, not only this, but the neighborhood was a very rich farmers because they had they had money crop like the sugar beets for the sugar. So that, that was a very, very nice area. They were very prosperous. And we did very well. But then, yes. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, uh, how did life change once the Germans invaded? And how long did those changes take? The Germans attacked Poland in 39, September the 1st, 39. In my town, they arrived three or four days later. I can tell you something. Life changed upside down just the beginning of it. We lost our freedom our dignity, our houses, our schools, our business, our life. We were just nobody. It started out just from the beginning. Now, they didn't kill a lot of people in the beginning, but we have laws, you know. We, um, we couldn't leave the town. Curfews. We had a white band to wear this uh, slave labor. In the big cities, in the big cities, they put up ghettos. Warsaw, Lodge, Krakow, or Lublin, Kelce were the big city. Can you Reminded explain how you were, uh, were forbidden for, to leave the cities? Yes, we were forbidden to leave the city. We, 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 when Germans came, we didn't even allowed to walk on the sidewalk. So then there were all kinds of, uh, kind of restrictions, you know. Like when the winter came, they took away all the, the furs. Jews have to give up first. They needed the, 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 the Germans, I don't know. And then there was a lot, everything was under threat of death. In my town, they killed somebody who didn't give up, they murdered a man who didn't give up his coat. So your family uh, had to make some decisions, I'm sure, saying, what is our next step? What was no, your family let me, considering? Let me tell you, we, were, we were lucky. That we would not get on our place. So for two years, we still were living in my house. We're still living in my house. And uh, so actually what we did is our business, we had some partners before the war. So we had, an we had a port to run our business. So we were in good shape there. But then slave labor, but for while they had big ghettos, we still lived in our house until 1942. Slave labor, all kind of a restriction, all kind of a stuff there. See, but see what happened is things got from worse to worse. I'm not, I'm just going to tell you in 19, 1941, June, when the Germans attacked Soviet Union, while they, they, when they, they created for Zander commanders, 
They killed over a million people by single bullets, you know, but that's not my town, but we knew about it. You know, the biggest thing they, they in, in Kiev, they, they called Babi Yar, they killed 36,000 people in two days. And uh, other cities, 50,000, they, 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 they killed by single bullets more than a million people. Then what happened in January 22nd, 1942, they had a conference in Berlin called the Vanzi, in a Vanzi place, Vanzi uh, uh, Palace. Then they decided on a final solution for the Jews. You know, you know the semester. So what they do it after the installation, they gave orders actually to the to the chief of Gestapo in Lublin. They created three dead camps. Not concentration camp or death camps like Treblinka, Belzec, Sobibor, Maidane, Helmno, then finally Birkenau. There was places just no nothing else. They brought millions of people and they and they gassed them. First they first they used in the beginning they used German and Russian tanks for the, to put the gas inside. And then they had the cyclone gas. So this 42, 1942, Jewish population in Poland was all sent to the death camps. Two million Jewish, Polish Jews were killed in 1942. Let me ask you a question, uh, Sam. Uh, in Back then, we didn't have the internet and news didn't travel as fast, obviously, right? Uh, how did you uh, first find out that uh, Germans were killing Jews? You know something? I know we did find out, but we didn't believe. We didn't want to know about it. We didn't believe this. I don't, you know, there were rumors that was talking about it. But so finally, let me tell you, finally, when it came to the, in the my, my neighborhood, they started taking the Jews away to, to the death camp in the summer of July or August 1942. So as we we got the knowledge. My father was very good connected. There was Polish police was acting there. So the, the chief of the police told my father that on Monday, on Monday there'd be something because they ordered horses and buggies. So they knew that my town come for deportation. So we we went in and hiding. Saturday night, we went in hiding to a Polish friend. Now let me tell you that Polish friend did not do this for any money. It was a good friend of ours. We had a lot of Polish friends. But you know what's happened is, a Saturday night when we walked out of my house, we had a 90-some years old grandmother. We could not take it with us. How, that's probably one of the most terrible situations that you face. Your grandmother was in the bed. We were walking out at midnight. And we know what next day she will kill. You know, it was the first emotional, worst thing happening in the Holocaust. So we went in, went into a Polish friend. He put us in a barn, eight people in a barn. You know what this, how to live in a barn? We dug a hole. I can only imagine. In a barn. So at night, we went out to get some fresh air. We had 
living in the barn. But what happened in the neighborhood? They were executing a lot of Jews. Now, I just wanted to make sure. That Polish friend did not do this for any money. We so he was, money. he was among the righteous, as they say, right? Whatever you say, that's right. No. So, so what happened is in the neighborhood, in my town, hundreds of people were killed, you know, dead. So, so we felt, oh, I don't know, I, I did not make a decision. My family decided it's not going to be safe to stay there for two, three months. So we decided to smuggle ourselves into the ghetto Krakow. You hear what I say? Yeah, the Krakow ghetto. Us. How many ghettos were how, there? Because we, we heard of the, Pol the uh, Warsaw ghetto. Uh, I think the Krakow ghetto is less known. How many different ghettos? Yeah, but were there was closer. We had we had our uncle living in the ghetto too. So what happened is my father, when he was in Polish army, had a had a nobleman, a very good friend. So the nobleman provided horses and buggies, like we're going to the market, you know. Is so we, we took us to the market close to the ghetto, and we smuggled ourselves into the ghetto. Uh, you know the Germans. We thought we smart. They didn't care. You got in, but they wouldn't let you out. So as we smuggled into the ghetto, we came into the ghetto. My uncle lived in a, uh, He had an apartment. Uh, he and another friend of his owned a two-bedroom apartment. So he had one bedroom. We had, when we came in, there was 14 people living in that one place. 14 people living with my uncle. Well, we're sleeping all, all kind of places at you. But after a while, after a while, we found an empty apartment because they, they took a lot of Jews to Belzitz from Krakow. So there was a lot of apartments. We got an apartment. But see, in the ghetto Krakow was, was something like this. If you had, you had to have a job to work. So if you didn't work our job, you didn't have a right to live in the ghetto. But they had a ghetto B. A, people worked, and B, didn't work. So... I got a job in a metal factory because my uncle worked there too. So I got a job. My father got a job. My brother got a job. We got jobs, so we, we stayed in the ghetto. Now, let me tell you, we, the ghetto, the cracker, we were not hungry there. We got money. You could buy him stuff there. And when I go to work, I could bring in inside food there. They didn't bother much about it. So, but it's in the, the ghetto cracker was not as as bad as the Warsaw ghetto, because it was less people, 25,000 people. Get the Warsaw had half a million people, you know. People dying over there from hunger, from sickness. 70,000 people died in Warsaw ghetto just from sickness. So finally, so I had a good, I had a job, I was working, come home, then on the 13th, of March 1943, they came to liquidate the ghetto cracker. You know, the head of the one who was in charge of the liquidation was Amnon Get. He was the commander of Russia. You ever heard his name? Uh, Amnon he's Get? A, yeah, notoriously okay. cruel. Yes. Okay. You know, if you see Shinder's in Shinder's list movie, yes. that was so let me just tell you what kind of speech Amnon Get made. Amnon gets it like this. We came here to destroy 800 years of life of Jews in Krakow. By the evening, we know Jews in this town. This was his speech. So what happened is they decided people who are working, working people, we take marches in 
the work uh, place Russia, the first first camp Russia. So we walked in. It was a suburb of Krakow. So my all my family actually, because we are working, we all got in to the to the Prussian camp. How did you get to the camp? Walked. You walked. Yeah, it was a half a mile or mile. I see. Yeah, it's a suburb. Actually, you know, they built they built that camp there on on a Jewish cemetery. There was a Jewish cemetery. They built a camp on the cemetery. But see. While we were going to the to the to the camp, there were two thousand people in ghetto B. They killed most of them. You see, in Shinda's list, they were thrown out with ch- children from the windows down there. There was, yeah, I don't know if you remember if you see in the movie that there was one little girl on a red coat. You know, in that movie that uh, I don't know what the movie put it in. So we were in Prussia. Now let me tell you. So I get to Prussia, I get into the barrack, I sleep on the top floor there, and then we were from Prussia getting out to work the place. The first first two months actually, I was going out to the to the same place I was working to the metal factory. But Prussia, as far as food, we were not hungry there yet. They were giving us enough food, but there was. Danger because I'm not get anytime you walked out, you shoot somebody, even from the balcony. You see it in the movie, he was shooting people. So <clears throat> there was a very frightened place there. Now, there was a women, women camp was separated. You know, we could, we could have a connection. So there was, Prussia was not a very nice place. We had selections, we had shootings, we had hangings, we had, uh, all kind of troubles there, you know, but we still, we still live there. Now, it came by then, and I would say September or July, when I came out from work, instead of going to my barrack, they put me in a stockade. And next day, they shipped us out from Russia. So the first time I get in a kettle car, a kettle car, you know what the kettle car is? Unfortunately, I do, yes. Uh, what was that experience like? I tell you something. First of all, you don't, you don't know where you're going. It's the worst thing, you know. You don't know where they're going. When they shut up the door, they put a bucket of water and a bucket for sanitation. It's an amazing. You, you, see, you know something? I think you become an animal when you get into the kettle. This is my, the worst experience in the cattle car. How many people uh, approximately was in oh, the well, cattle car? hundred people, hundred people there. But you know, but they they moved in cattle cars, millions of people to death camps. You know, children. It was probably the worst. In what the did you think was going to happen when they put you in the cattle car? Did you have any? I didn't know thought? nothing. Nothing. We didn't. That was the worst thing. You didn't know what's going on. But I'll tell you something. The, the noise of the tracks. The noise of the tracks never left my head. So I've been in cattle cars four times. So finally, we get to another, to another camp. Why did they uh, keep uh, sending you to different camps? Why did they just know keep why. you? They yeah. needed work. No, we went to another working place because they, 
German industry needed workers. I see. So I was working. So they moved me to a place named Pionki. Pionki was the biggest ammunition factory in Poland. There was uh, 3,000 Jews there and 5,000 Poles working. It was uh, the biggest place. So as we get unloaded from the train, get into a shower, the first time I got into a shower. Now let me tell you something. We didn't know what's going to come out from the, from the head showers. Gas or water. That's the worst thing there. You don't know what's going to happen. How did you know they had gas yeah. when you went into the shower? How, how did We already knew about it. You knew that. When water came out from that, instead of gas, we started singing songs. It was a Hebrew song, Mayim, Hayim, you know. I can't believe this, how we were happy. And it came water. So get us dressed up and we live in the camp. Now that camp, that camp was, sanitation was not good. They put us in warehouses, you know. I was still on the third sick day. The last food, hard work. It was uh, one day, came and said, now you're going to, you're going in, we're going to go to Germany. So they put this in a in cattle car again. But this time, this time was only 75 people. I call it second class. Second <laughs> class thing. Yeah. It was only 75 people, not 100. And so, so on the way, finally, we didn't get to Germany. They stopped us near Chesterhova, and they make us, they put us in a barn. They make a dig anti-tank ditches, anti-tank ditches against, against the Russians. Hard work, no sanitation over there. Maybe two or three weeks. They put us again to the station. This time, they say, we're going to Germany. But you know what happened? This time, they put 50 people in a tracker. I call it first class. <laughs> because they Some first class. Yeah, they didn't close the doors in. There were two assessments sitting on the steps on the doorstep. So we were, they told us we're going to Germany. We did really go there. Soon as we passed Auschwitz and the Polish border, I knew that we got another day to that. So finally, we get to a station in Germany. They call it Oranienburg. And there was another camp next door. Sachsenhausen. Sachsenhausen was the largest camp the Germans built for themselves in the, in the 30s, you know. So as we were sitting on the Kaibosons, 300 of us, the camp didn't want us. They didn't have any Jews in the camp. They don't want a dirty Jews from Poland bringing typhus. So it took six hours. They didn't have a choice. They had to take us in. They take us in so again. We get into a shower. This time they shower. They shaved. They shaved us every place. They looked at every place if we have something hidden stuff there. You know, and then after they gave us a shower, they spread DDT. You know what DDT is? It's, a, it's like a weed chemical, chemical killer. They use, yeah. yeah. It's burning like hell. They give us paper clothes, no shoes, and they put us in a barrack. They said, Three weeks, we're going to be day of isolation. If we don't get sick, then we can go to work. Now, I'll tell you, that was an amazing, 
they had some other Jews there. The only Jews they had there, they had one barrack with 200 Jews who were falsifying, falsifying British money. I don't know if you ever heard about this. They were printing British money and they're spreading out of the world. So they had 200 Jews there under guard. They, they, they were in good condition. They gave them food because they were. So we were getting in in the barrack. We had, we had the guy who was in charge of the camp, or the German, a German homosexual. He was a son of a bitch, you know, terrible. Thing. And then his assistant was worse yet, was a, uh, some uh, Dutch, Dutch, he was Dutch, I don't know, he was quite, we had another trouble there. Anyhow. Can you give us a timeline? When were you in Sachsenhausen? What year? Uh, do you remember the month? It was 40, 44, July, August 44. I see. Now, let me tell you, this, from the day we came to Sachsenhausen, we were hungry. For the last eight months in Sachsenhausen, we were hungry. I'll tell you. How much food did you get in during the yeah, day? Listen, what did you eat? Listen to this. And they wake you up early in the morning, I don't know what time, and then they go to Rocco. You know, there were 2,000 people in the camp. They, they didn't stop until I couldn't never figure out what the hell they lose one person. What's a big deal? No, it didn't work. After that, they gave us some coffee. Looks like coffee. And then most of the time we went out to work. We come back, get some soup. You know something? As close as got to the wall, end of the wall, you couldn't find a piece of wood in there. And then on Sunday, you get two slices of bread for eight months. People were dying for hunger. There was nothing unusual. You wake up in the morning, the next guy to you is cold. So after three weeks, after three weeks, they came. They gave us better clothes, better pajamas. And they got wooden shoes, and they shipped us to a new place where our machinery is. Graven, little camp, were 300 people in a little camp. But you know, over there was hunger, hard work, cold. It was terrible, you know. There was no, no unbelievable cold. I can tell you something. One thing what happened there. One day we come back from work, or 30 of us going from the workshop to barracks. There was a German farmer had a, a boat, a beach for cows. We jumped on that boat, on the everybody grabbed one and started eating this. We had four, four assessments. They were stunned. They didn't know what to do, but they make us put back the beets. And then when we get back to the house, everyone got 15 dashes, 15 dashes. But you know something? They're unbelievable. I had an old man, an old guy. He was so tired. My dashes were not so bad. You know, he was so, it was an outdoor assessment. I think he was tired. So he gave me 15 lashes. So, Sam, let me ask you, how was your mindset? How did you cope with all of this? And what made you go on? And the only thing what I can tell you is that I was full of hope that I'll make it. 
every day was after day, you know. Where'd you uh, get that hope from? Was it faith? Well, maybe I got it, it from my family. Maybe I yeah. got it. Yeah. And you know, I I didn't never give up. Never give up. I was never sick. You have to remember. At that time, I was already 18 or 19 years old. So I never gave up. I was not a hope that I want to make it now. So, so listen to this. We were working there. Uh, after by January, they decided no sense of working. They sent us back to the mother camp, Saxon House. Now that would hell start on the air. You know why? Because they brought more people. They brought 10,000 Polish people. There was a Polish uprising, not a Jewish, not Polish uprising in Warsaw. And the German brought 10,000 prisoners to Sachsenhausen. You know, we were sleeping two in front of each other. There was no room there. So that was, then we started getting out to work. I was working in all kinds of places. One day I was working in a, in a Herman Gehring grenade factory. There was a, a, a airplane factory. Then I was making bricks for the thousands. But one day I got a good job. Listen to this. They picked 10 of us, take us to the city of Berlin, and they make us dig out unexploded bombs. 250 pounders, the, German, the British or the American, we were digging out the place here. And they had a German fireman, he was taking care of the detonator. But what, what was good to the job is there was air raid. Well, this air raid, they showed us in with the Germans to the, sh the shelters. Now, in the shelter, you could find a scrap of cigarette on the floor or a scrap of food, you know. So, so uh, that was like being in the Ritz Carlton, right? That's right. That's right. So, anyhow, so let me just tell you. So, we were just in that camp. I was hunger. There was hard work. There's a lot of things there. The British and the Americans were bombing. You know, we were fixing up railroads, tracks. Uh, one place, they killed 500 survivors, 500 prisoners. They they were hitting in a, in a place, and the bombs hit it. So things were terrible. Finally, see. In Sachsenhausen, Sachsenhausen, we had a red triangle, like a prisoner, and on top of that was a yellow triangle. So we're like a Mogendovit. So they, one day, there's some rumors in the, the rumors in the place that tomorrow they're going to se separate the Jews. When you say separate the Jews, that's bad news. So me, I don't know, it was my idea or my friend, I had one friend. We pulled the yellow star. So we were red Polish prisoners. So next day, next day, they called everybody, get out in front of, we were walking out from the camp. There were 30,000 people walking out from the camp. So what happened is they put 250 person that went there. So we're trying to get into the Poles. The Poles kicked us out and said, you dirty Jews, go to you. But the assessment didn't know what's going on, so we were walked in. So then six in a row, they gave it a fresh loaf of bread for six people. So I got a six, a part of it for bread. 
Sam looked at this and said, nah, I just finished it. I said, somebody steal it or I lose it. Yeah. Now let me tell you something, but you've never heard this before. For two and a half weeks, no food was given on the dead part. No food was given for two and a half weeks. Did you understand what kind of march you were on at the time? Because you call it a death not, march. I did not understand right. nothing. All I right. know is like this, this, this. The first week we walked, anybody stepped out, got shot. Where were they leading you to? And when did you find out They're where leading they were into the north? They want to dump us in the ocean, in the North Sea. Second week, second week, people, they lay in the ditch, they stop shooting. Now we know why, why they stop shooting. It's because Himmler, you know who Himmler is? Yeah. The head of the, head of the SS. Yeah. He started making some arrangement to save his life with the Brit, with the Swedish, Bernadotte. So, the people who drink in the ditches, the Swedish Red Cross came and picked up these people. They stopped shooting. Now the third week, the third week, they walked us in like two thousand of us in a in a forest. Two thousand of us in a forest. There was a place spent there. Now listen to this. We were hungry there because no food was given. People were eating the barks from the trees or the flowers, whatever was there. And there was a little creek after two, after two days was not a single drop of water there. Now hundreds of people died there. So me and a friend, I got another friend, we were watching ourselves. We were sleeping in front of a, a, a tree because we were afraid they would steal us the shoes or the blankets, you know, there was so much. Terrible. That was terrible. Finally, 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 on May the 2nd, 1945, the guards disappeared at night. They dressed up like, like prisoners and they ran away and we were left in the woods free. Free. What was your feeling like at that time when you saw that they left? Oh, here, let me tell you what freedom is. I standing there. I dressed up in the pajamas. I'm not sure if I had two shoes or one shoe. I had a lot of hair. I had a lice in my hair. I was hungry. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. I was 19 years old. But so we decided, decided to get out from the woods. We decided the first German I'm going to see, I'm going to kill. So we walked in in the house. And we found the women and the child there. She was scared like hell. So she said, there's nothing left, any food, because she had a lot of guests before us. So, you know, at that minute, all my vengeance to kill went no place. I didn't want to kill So someone. when you say guests, you mean other people who came from the forest, came to the house as well with the same? Yeah, they came before to her. They to get everything, food. So there was nothing there. So we keep walking. We keep walking, they see a uh, German a tank, a German tank sitting there. We climbed in there. You know what we found? What did you find? A little sugar and cognac. Oh, that must have been incredible, huh? That was our first food, a little sugar and a little cognac, not too much. And then, then we start walking towards the main, main highway. 
when I get to the Queen Highway, you know what I see? Hundreds of thousands German soldiers running away from the from the Russians. That's the way where the Russians and the Americans met. They didn't want to be captured by the Soviet Union. They want to be captured by the Americans. So all I see is German German soldiers. And then finally, I see one or two GIs walking around. Now what we did is we stepped in one of these trucks and went into the city. City of Schwerin was like a few miles away. When I walked into the city, there was a place, there was an old German uh, camp. They put it out for the survivors in there. But what I see in front of it was standing an American soldier with a bayonet. I said, no, Sam would never walk in a place where a, where a soldier is watching. So we didn't go in there. So what we did is we found a, a bomb that house. Me and my friend made house on the second floor. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you, what lessons uh, should our listeners take away from your experience? And why is it so important for you to share this and other Holocaust lessons? It's a very important because we have we have so much trouble in this world, Dale. First of all, we, we have a deniers. Then we, we have to teach them to, for, that never happened again, something like this. You know, so I t- speak in schools, I talk to you, you know, and uh, we have to keep talking because few of us, few of us survived. Polish Jews, 70,000 of us survived on the, the, the camps, you know. Most of them dying now, very few of us here. So what we have is, if we, if we stop talking, we have a museum like Washington and other places who, who continue to carry up our stories. So, uh, Sam, the two most famous words that came out of the Holocaust were never again. What does never again mean to you? Never again means nothing. Never again means that never's going to happen the same thing, you know, because this, we, we live in a violent world. We have so many atrocities with Cambodia, with, we had uh, all kinds of other stuff there, genocide, but nothing was like the Holocaust because the Holocaust was something that the, the most cultured country in the world, the Germans, used all the machinery to kill all the Jews. What the, let me tell you something else. If your grandfather was Jewish and you're Christian, you went to this. In Auschwitz, in Auschwitz, they killed Mrs. Stein. And, and uh, she was a, a Dutchman. In 1922, she converted to Catholicism. She became a nun. But the German killed as a Jew. And there's a there's a monument in, in Auschwitz. One side is a cross, one side is a, a Jewish star. So it was something unbelievable, special, because the, the so much cultured country used the machinery and everything else. Now, I want to tell you something else. A lot of Western countries helped them kill the Jews. America was quiet, you know, but in the in Europe, most of the countries had had Nazi governments. They helped the Germans to kill the Jews. I published a book. Yes, I'm reading it right now, and I got to tell you, it's hard for me to put it down. Tell us about your book. Okay. 
So, you see this book there? This book is a hundred years Jewish history that I went through in the world, you know, including camps before the war, Israel, America. Well, let's Israel. give the title of your book first so people know. It's called A Jewish Journey, Surviving and Thriving in Poland, Israel, and the United States. Go ahead, Sam, tell us. By Sam Brown. It's available on, on uh, Amazon. Yep. And uh, I have to tell you, it's your whole life story. It's everything we talked about here and a whole lot more we just can't get into. Uh, I'm going to read this twice because I don't want to miss something the first time around. Uh, it is one of the most remarkable stories ever written about the Holocaust. See, let me tell you, most of the time what I want to, when I write something or I talk about it, there's another book coming up very soon. Another one? Called Jews in the Garden. Jewish in the Garden by Judy Rakowski. It's going to be out in July. Now, I think there was a, it's, it's a story, a stories about how my experience in traveling from Poland and Harris after the war. You know, I discovered three or four places where Pol Polish people murdered my family. You know, in one place, I even brought bones back home today to the convention. So we have about a minute left, and I want to know, how do you remain so positive, and do you have forgiveness for your experience? I am positive. I am optimistic, and uh, I get a lot of help from my wife, Bila, you know, my family. I get a lot of inspiration, but I am in nature very optimistic and looking forward to life. Are you forgiving of your experience? How do you handle that all these years later? Is it still in your mind in a negative way? Listen to this. This is a this is another story. You see this here. First of all, about the Germans. It's not for me to forgive them, but I'll tell you something. I've been to Germany, invited back to Sachsenhausen many times. But one time I walked out from the from the underground, the zoo, you know. In the Zoo Bahnhof in Berlin. And what I see is a big sign there. Don't forget, Treblinka was there. Never seen in any other place in Germany. So I don't know how they do. They feel guilty. And, uh, they try and they spend a lot of money. They give us a lot of money, Germans. But in their heart, I don't know. There's a lot of new Nazis now. But, uh, uh, but in Poland, in Poland is another issue. You see, what do you do? And you come to a place where a Polish family kept my family for 18 months in a barn. For 18 months, they kept them there. And then Polish partisans came and killed, and killed my family there, six people, the Dulas. So when you come to that place there, you have to thank the guy who saved them and you, and you and you can be angry for the cures, but that's a big issue how, how to deal with this. There's a lot of a lot of Poles who save Jews, a lot of Poles who kill Jews. So it's a mixed bag. Well, I want to let my listeners know to pick up a copy of a Jewish journey, the book, uh, because this is a, an incredible part of history, um, unlike any other. Uh, and this is one of the most remarkable books 
you'll ever read on the Holocaust and, and about Sam Ron's life, who is a really an incredible story and an incredible person. I want to thank you for coming on our show today, Sam. And sei gesund. Sei gesund. Hey, take care. Thanks a lot. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email themotivationshow at gmail.com. That's themotivationshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.